There is a parable that the writer is unknown. Whoever first put it together has been lost. But the parable is about a man and he's asleep. He's awakened by the voice of God. And the voice of God says, I want you to go outside and push on the boulder outside your cabin. So the next morning, this man gets up and the boulder weighs several tons, but he walks up, pushes on the boulder with all his strength, but it doesn't move. But he stays out there all day pushing on the boulder. And the next day he gets up, pushes on the boulder. This goes on for days, for weeks, months become years. Several years, every day pushing the boulder, never moves. And then one day the devil shows up. And the devil says, you've been pushing this boulder for years and you haven't moved it at all. What a waste. You're a failure. And the man feels his pain in his heart and he sits down and considers what the devil says. And that night he goes to bed, but he can't sleep. And so he begins to cry and he says, God, just like the devil said, I'm a failure. I didn't push that boulder anywhere. And in the darkness, the still small voice of God says to him, look how much stronger you are from pushing the boulder. Look at how strong your arms are. Look how much stronger your legs are. Look how much weight you can now carry with your back. You have grown so much over these years. And then God says, I told you to push the boulder. I never told you to move the boulder. Your job is to push. My job is to move it. You've been obedient. And now my child, I will move the boulder. It's a beautiful picture of us following what God calls us to do, but trusting him with the results. And so we have been looking at this book of Ezra where there are tremendous obstacles that needed to be pushed out of the way. Four month journey Ezra had to take where he walked from Babylon to Jerusalem. And again, Jerusalem had been destroyed. They were rebuilding it, but tremendous tremendous obstacles to overcome. Ezra's job was to be faithful and he followed very faithfully. And as he's leaving Babylon to go to Jerusalem, Ezra 8:22, he says, "The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him." We're going to look at a couple promises from Moses and a miracle story that is one of the most powerful that I've ever read. But the picture we start with is Ezra saying, the hand of God is upon all them for good that seek him. God's hand is upon us and his hand is good. He brings good into our lives and our job is to seek him. He doesn't call us to move the boulder. We are to be obedient. Whatever it is in life he's called us to, our job is to follow in that obedience. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses giving his last sermon or speech to the people getting ready to enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy 33, 25, very popular verse. Uh, President Cleveland had this in a frame and he had some obstacles in his life with health and a lot of challenges with stress. And he had this verse framed in his office. When he retired, he had that framed verse at his house. When people asked him about why have this verse on the wall, he said, if my family has a coat of arms, that verse is our coat of arms. And the verse is Deuteronomy 33:25 says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. 
as thy days, so shall thy strength be. We could say it, there is enough strength for today. Gene Scott probably quoted this verse more than any, but he said something very interesting. He said, if you wake up in the morning, you know you have strength for today. So if you wake up in the morning and you have tremendous energy and you feel like you could conquer the world, he says, get excited. That means a lot of things are going to be happening today. You're going to overcome great odds. But he says, if you have one of those mornings where you wake up and you just say, I can't even muster the strength or energy to even get out of bed. He said, give thanks because you've got enough strength for the day. So that means God's going to remove all those obstacles in your way so that day will have less of a challenge because your strength matches the need of the day. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Now, two questions that I hope we'll consider at this moment and as we look at what Moses says here in a couple verses as well. Two questions, and Wayne Sears shares this. He said, question one, what is God doing in your life right now? And two, what is it that you want him to do in your life right now? So keep those questions in mind with this picture of Ezra saying that God's good hand is upon those who seek him and there's enough strength for today. As thy days shall be, so shall thy strength be. You know, there were a couple of surveys just recently and they were asking high school students. They asked students in India and they asked students in the United States. And in India, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And by far, number one answer was software engineer. And they said, why? And they said, because in our country, that's a respected profession. You make good money, can take care of your bills and take care of your family. They asked students here in the United States, what do you want to be when you grow up? Number one answer is, I want to be famous. I want to be famous. Now in India, they say, I want to have this, this position for respect. The U.S., they said, I want to be famous. Both of these are a picture of the six human needs we've talked about at different times. But one of those needs specifically is the need for significance. And the need for significance is really a cry for the need for love. So when they say, I want to be famous, we all have these two fears. We won't be loved, that we're not enough. And so when students say, I want to be famous, it's saying, I want to feel like I'm enough to be loved. In India, I want to have a position so I get respect because I want to feel like I deserve love. We all fear we're not good enough and that we won't receive love. These are fears we all wrestle with. But scripture comes and tells us the promise that in Christ you have unconditional love, unconditional acceptance. And it's so important that we recognize that and say, every day I have the strength for today because God is on my side. His hand for good is upon my life. So I don't have to fear not being enough. I don't have to fear losing love because he is with me always. There's a medical term, failure to thrive syndrome. When babies, when they're new infants, if they don't receive proper love and care, they can get very sick. They could even die. Love is the oxygen of the soul. We all need it crave it, but people fear, again, they're not enough. They won't receive love. And what does Moses say? Credible verse, again, Deuteronomy 33, 25, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. 
There's enough strength for today. Know that God's good hand is upon you. And we're going to see a couple amazing promises that Moses follows up with here in just a moment. Uh, Philip Harrelson wrote this article in Times of Need. And the idea is, he's looking at some well-known people in the Old Testament and New Testament and says, look at the strength they needed to get through these challenges. God gave them the strength so they can be a picture, a model for us to say, as God brought them through, gave them strength for that day, his good hand upon them, so it shall be for us. First one is Job. He had the burden of Satan's attack. He lost his health, lost his family, lost his friends, lost his wealth. But God was there to give him strength to face the adversary. And he came through that incredibly challenging time, stronger than ever. And God gave him that grace to come through the challenge. Abraham, the burden of sacrifice in his dearest possession, Isaac. We'll see Abraham here again in just a moment. Jacob, the burden of wrestling with past mistakes and sin. Jacob, the word itself, means one who lies, deceives, or trips another. His name changed from Jacob to Israel, the prince of God. His sin he wrestled with until he was changed. His name was changed, but internally he was changed by the grace of God from the liar to the prince of God. So it is for us, the change that happens in Christ from the old to the new. Joseph, the burden of iron chains entering the soul. Joseph, tremendous picture of faith, but for a while he had a tremendous struggle with his own ego and not getting along with other people. Moses, the burden of not progressing to the promised land. He could lead them up to the promised land, but his sin was going to keep him out of the promised land. Elijah, the burden of depression. Elijah, known for tremendous miracles, fire down from heaven, but he also hid in a cave, struggled with depression. And then the still small voice of God spoke to him, said, Elijah, what are you doing here in this cave? Ezekiel, the burden of private sorrow and public duty. Ezekiel had to preach about judgment and consequence of sin. Very unpopular person, ostracized in society, treated very badly, but he followed the obedient call before him. Peter, the burden of transformation from clay to stone. Peter often said and did things that led to dire consequences. And you remember at Calvary, when he rejected Christ and said, I don't know that man. Afterwards, he wept with great sorrow. And God's grace was there as Jesus pulled him back from that brokenness and restored him. And his grace was greater than Peter's failure and sin. John Mark, a name less well known, but the burden of two failures. Twice he was on a mission trip in the book of Acts with Paul, and he quit. He was homesick, he was scared, and the second time Paul said, that's twice he's quit, don't bring John Mark anymore. Sometime though between that and the end of Paul's life, something changed, because in 2 Timothy, when Paul is writing his last letter, facing the death sentence, he shares about his warm heart towards John Mark and how they had restored that relationship. And then Paul himself had the, the thorn that he wrestled with all his life. But each of these had enough strength for the day, strength for the task that lies before them. Abraham, Paul says, is the perfect example for faith. He's the father of faith. The reason for that is many. But the well-known picture is Genesis 17:5, where the Lord says, No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, and notice, for I have made you the ancestor 
of a multitude of nations. Abraham had a child with Hagar, but none with Sarah. Abram means father. God says you're no longer named father Abram. Now you'll be Abraham, father of nations. He changed his name, changed his identity so that he could grab hold of who he really is meant to be. Imagine, even after his name changed, he didn't have the promised son. That wouldn't happen for another year. But when people met him, he would say, I'm the father of nations. They would say, where are your children? And he would just speak in faith, I'm the father of nations. That's the challenge for us to see ourselves as our true identity. That's what faith is, to take the promise in scripture, to hold on to that promise and to walk in that promise. Gene Scott put it like this, faith grabs hold of God's word and hangs on until his word already settled in heaven becomes an experiential fact down here on earth. Faith is the title deed that shows the right to ownership. We walk in faith, and when you have the need, you look into Scripture and say, here's the promise that meets this need. I take that promise. I believe that promise. I declare that promise. I pray that promise. I believe that promise. And so that promise already settled in heaven becomes a reality in my life. Abraham walked around and said, I'm the father of nations without yet having a child. So it is. It was settled in heaven. I have made you. And he believed it then, and his name was changed so that he could even proclaim it day to day when he would say, I am Abraham. That is faith. There's a beautiful story in the life of Napoleon. He was on his horse reading some maps, didn't realize the bridle had come out of the horse's mouth. The horse started to rear and a corporal ran over, grabbed the reins of the horse, held it back down to the ground until it calmed down. And he looks up. Emperor is staring at him, and the emperor says to the corporal, Thank you, captain. And the young man says, Thank you, sir. And that young man walked back to the barracks, took off his corporal uniform, put on a captain's uniform, and then became the captain that he was told that he really was. When people said, Who made you captain? He said, The emperor made me captain. And that's all it took. When we proclaim the promises in Scripture and proclaim who we are in Christ, it's because God has said that is who you are, who I am. That's why Scripture is that title deed to walk us in faith and say, what is the need? What does Scripture say? Let me proclaim that, believe it, hold on to that until what is established in heaven becomes a reality in my life because God's good hand is upon those who seek Him as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Now Moses continues. Two incredible verses here. Deuteronomy 33, 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun. It's believed this is a poetic word that would then be eventually Jerusalem, Israel, but it's his people. There is no one like the God of his people who rides across the heavens to help you. Hold on to that thought as we look at a miracle here in just a moment when we close. But God is there, strength for the day, his good hand upon you, and he will ride across the heavens to help you. Wonderful example of God's creation. This is Dr. Richard Swenson. He wrote More Than Meets the Eye. And what he writes here is the incredible aspect of creation. 
And when you stop and look at what science says about creation, and you think about the God behind this miraculous creation, how much more confidence then do we come with our own prayers before Him whose good hand is upon us? Dr. Swenson writes this, The human body has over 10,000 trillion trillion atoms, with more than one trillion being replaced every second. Those replaced atoms then spend time in other people's bodies, a process repeated over and over again down through history. Some of the carbon atoms that reside in our bodies in our childhood frames are now doing their similar work within the body of a child in Mongolia. When you take a deep breath, you inhale 150 million air molecules that Jesus breathed. Every cell has about a trillion atoms. We have anywhere from 10 to 100 trillion cells in the human body. We are making over a trillion cells every day. Take, for example, red blood cells. You make 2 to 10 million red blood cells every second. And he concludes with this. Well, we don't know how much blood that Jesus shed hanging on the cross, but we do know this. He shed at least one red blood cell for every human being that's ever lived in the history of the world. Beautiful, beautiful picture. Everything taking place in our bodies that we are not causing to happen. It's just part of the creation of how you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Stop and look at the beauty in nature and then say, I believe in the one who rides across heaven on my behalf. And then we close with this. The next thing Moses says, Deuteronomy 33, 27, simply this. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath. Translators say this is a difficult word to translate into English because the meaning, in a sense, means bottomless. So underneath, underneath are his everlasting arms. Underneath, how deep is that pit? Well, underneath that are his everlasting arms. What about a pit deeper than that? Underneath that are his everlasting arms upholding you. What about a pit a pit deeper than that? Well, underneath are his everlasting arms. No matter how deep that pit goes, underneath that are his everlasting arms upholding you. What is God doing in your life right now? What is it that you want God to do in your life right now? As Ezra said, his good hand is upon us. Strength for today, and he will ride across heaven to meet your needs. And no matter how deep that pit, his everlasting arms are underneath you. Which brings us to a story reported on every major major news network a few years ago. And atheists have been struggling to explain it away. But the story is simply incredible. A few years ago, a 12-year-old girl was kidnapped in Ethiopia. Seven men took her and they beat her on a daily basis. Horrible, filthy, disgusting, sinful men. They were either going to sell her into slavery, force her to get married. 12 years old, Every day they would beat her. Seven days goes by, and on the seventh day, she sees a chance to escape, and she takes off running, and behind her are seven men chasing this child. And out of nowhere, out of the jungle, a pride of lions comes out and chases and attacks the men. They take off running in the other direction. The little girl falls down in the street and begins to cry. 
and the lions sit down. The men could not get back to her because between them and her was this pride of lions. A couple hours go by and the police had been looking for this girl these seven days. They pull up, they see her on the ground. They see the lions and the chief said this, everyone thinks this is some kind of miracle because normally the lions would attack people. They stood guard until we found her and then they just left her like a gift and went back into the forest, never to be seen again. What is God doing in your life right now? What is it that you want God to do in your life right now? The good hand of, up, the good hand of God is upon those who seek Him. There is enough strength for the day. And he will ride across heaven to meet your needs. Because no matter how deep that pit is, underneath are his everlasting arms. What is God doing in your life right now? What is it that you want God to do in your life right now?